to Just a Spoonful, the podcast that is young and fully sick. Or as I saw someone sum it up on Facebook the other day, sick as young people have chats. Yes, I love that. Everyone you hear speaking on this podcast is a young person living with a chronic condition and or disability, including me, your host, Caitlin Plyley. Hello. It's been a while between drinks. What did you do over the summer? I moved house again. That sucked. But for the first time, unbelievably, for the first time in like six years, I am living in a house that is fully accessible to me. That It's just changed my life. It's wheelchair accessible and everything. And uh, a lot of you listening may know that wheelchair accessible homes are ironically not usually affordable for disabled people, especially if you're young, because we statistically tend to live on lower incomes. It took, it took me months of searching and actually a uh, small period of homelessness to, to find this place, but I was determined not to settle for stairs again, and I'm, I'm glad that I didn't settle because I love my new place, and I'm happy to be here in Melbourne where the weather makes me feel right at home because it's as unpredictable as my body's ability to regulate its own temperature. So everyone complains about the weather here, but I'm loving it. And now that I'm not hunting for rentals anymore, I can finally bring you this illuminating chat with Bhavani Esipati. Bhavani is an RSA fellow, Huffington Post blogger, and the founder of the Invisible Labs, the online hub for an international network of social innovation around invisible disabilities. Particularly, Bhavani's storytelling blog, Chronically Driven, curates stories by people who have autoimmune conditions and asks them to write about how their diagnosis has made their life better. Better. I struggled with this idea. I don't often think of my autoimmune disease as having improved my life, but Bhavani makes a compelling case for a shift in mindset. She may challenge your thinking about chronic illness in general. She definitely challenged my thinking about whether being normal is even something to aspire to, if the term chronic illness is accurate, and even that chemotherapy might actually be a good thing. We recorded this conversation in May last year, 2016, over Skype, me in my home in Melbourne and Bhavani in her home in London. Bhavani grew up in India and in her 20s moved to England. She lives with severe Crohn's disease and a type of arthritis spondylitis. We talk a lot about chronic illness. Uh, we actually only talk about chronic illness, uh, specifically conditions that are invisible. So you might be thinking, I don't really feel like an hour of talking about chronic illness today, and that's legit maybe find a different episode for you today. But I will just say that even despite our topic, I felt uplifted by the end of our chat. I don't usually feel that way after talking about chronic conditions for an hour. But Bhavani's rhetoric is less positive vibes only, which I have problems with, and is more sincere pragmatism. Like she just wants to know, how can our attitude to illness serve us best? So... Let's get into it with Bhavani Esipati. Ooh, 
I'd like to start off by asking, um, could you please tell me what going beyond the extraordinary means? Oh, wow. Okay. Why not start with the big ones? <laughs> yeah. Just ex- um, just explain life to me next. It's it's going to be a real light chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that um, actually started when um, I started writing and it was looking at the idea of, oh, if you're someone with a chronic condition, there's no way you can ever be normal. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you can't, if you can't, like if normal, normalcy is something you have to aspire to, then the idea of like being exceptional or extraordinary is outside the realms of like, if you can't even aspire to be normal. So the idea behind going beyond the extraordinary is that you you can be extraordinary if you're normal. So for those who can't be normal, the only option is to go beyond it. Wow. <laughs> so it's like instead of aspiring to be normal, you're aspiring to be even more extraordinary, beyond extraordinary. Yes, because I think it's in the spectrum of being, oh, you're normal, you're special, you're exceptional, and you get to be extraordinary is something I think a, a path that, those who are completely healthy and who see themselves as, you know, well-adjusted and normal can aspire towards. So if 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 that's not even the game you're playing, then <clears throat> the only option you have is to go beyond the extraordinary. Wow. Like, first, first question, you've blown my mind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm really glad you like that. <laughs> I, like, was preparing really hard for this chat because you're – Twitter bio is intimidating because um, <laughs> uh, you're an RSA fellow, which I was very excited yes. of, to find out. Um, okay. Can, I, I thought everyone knew about the RSA, but in Australia, I think a lot of people aren't aware of it. Can you sort of briefly explain uh, what it is and what being a fellow means? Um, yes, the RSA is Royal Society for the Arts and they have a long title of like uh, you know, the arts and manufacturing and economics and so on. Um, essentially, the RSA is for anyone interested in creating social change. Like past fellows include, you know, Charles Dickens, Karl Marx, and like really uh, brilliant minds. So I'm, I'm like honored to be part of it. So it's for anyone who wants to create a change in how Uh, how our world is right now so working with the RSA is is to me like trying to get a a foothold into looking at how people change the world before and what can we do together Mm. and you mentioned going beyond the extraordinary uh, means that you you have to be beyond that you can't just be normal Um, do you think Mm. that having chronic illnesses has made you f- sort of driven you to try to be like more extraordinary like do you feel like you have to be an RSA fellow like you couldn't just be like a secretary or you know like an admin assistant down the road at a, new- at a community newspaper like no- sorry if you sorry if anyone listening is an admin assistant at a community newspaper <laughs> you're doing an important thing we need print to stay alive so thank you but um <laughs> yeah like I mean do you feel like there is kind of like a uh, an obligation to be, you know, extra, extraordinary. 
Yeah, um, I th uh, that's a really important question and, pr and how everything sort of kicked off in my life was when I was specifically told that I don't qualify, no, not qualify, sorry, I am incapable of having a regular job, as in I'm incapable of waking up in the morning and going and sitting at a desk doing brilliant work and finishing at five or six or whenever you finish and coming home. So that was my doctor's advice to me to say that my body simply can't handle it. So if, if I want to be somewhat quote unquote healthy, I need to not do what everybody else is doing. So in, in a way, I think I was, I was told that from the get go. So, so, so it was like my option was to not be normal. Hmm. And I think I think a lot of people, I think I think almost everyone with a chronic condition is told that in the sense that, oh, like you can't you 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 know, you can't uh, get have like an a fifteen hour day that most people take for granted. So even if you're not explicitly told the way that I was, I think you realize over the course of coping with your condition. So I I see this as uh, as not that, oh, look at me, I'm special, but that that is the only way for all of us. Mm. And that's really the message behind it. Uh, because I often get told, oh, like, you know, oh, oh, my God, you did this. That's because you were able to do this. But the point of it being that all of us can, because that that's the only way forward, unless you, do, you know, you don't want to do anything, which I don't know a single person who wants to do that. So. That's kind of the the premise that I started this podcast on was that I had never met uh, I had never met first of all I haven't met a person who's not interesting but like I especially hadn't met any chronically ill people who weren't really really out there going for it you know what I mean who weren't like determined and strong and interesting. And I don't know what it's like. Well, I know a little bit what it's like in England. So I, I read some of your headlines and they're terrifying. When I do like a, when I do like a Google news um, search by the word disability, it's really terrifying. Um, but oh my God, why do you do that to yourself? I don't know. <laughs> Bhavani, I've got problems. Um, but uh, but um, that's fine. The other day I was up at five in the morning reading about child mortality rate. Jesus I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Child mortality rate, just a nice... Yeah, it's like that's, that's not the first thing you should be reading just for everyone out there. It's the first <laughs> thing in the morning with your coffee, so... Yeah. Do you try and, like, make sure that the worst part of your day starts at the very beginning so it can only get better? No, well, I see that as as part of my job to be aware of these things, but... Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know why. It's, it's a funny thing to talk about with people because they often say, oh my God, that's horrible. But, but in most, th in the things that people find the horrible things, I seem to find solutions or like, oh, that's amazing. So, th so now we can do this with that information. Mm. So yeah, I, I, I don't think my brain translates like, oh, that's horrible. And that's like, you know, that just means doom. Yeah, like what is it about your brain 
or or your personality <laughs> that means that like because most people i think reach a point where they get like um uh fatigue from the news they they get they reach like peak anxiety and then they just can't be worried anymore and they just sort of switch off because they feel powerless to actually affect any change so do you how, how do you look at things like uh, you know uh, news stories uh, like the ones I was thinking of about chronically ill people are all lazy doll bludgers mm. trying to get free handouts and this kind of stuff or you know children around the world dying far too young uh, how do you look at that and think I'm going to come up with a solution I feel like I can <laughs> come up with a solution I, I, I think there are two aspects to this question one is this overwhelming feeling that oh I'm going to come up with a solution and everything's going to be perfect. So when, when every time, let's say, someone who's recently diagnosed and they think, oh, crap, I can't do anything and I wish things were different, I wish I could do this, I wish things were like this, the, the best thing to do and even the most constructive thing to do is to look at what can I do right now that moves it that moves the needle like 1% forwards. Mm. Because the idea of change to most people is, oh, okay, so I need to make this change and everybody in the world will be affected by it. But the, the best change comes from the, the really small steps. So what can you do that gets you from, let's say, zero to one and then one to two and two to three? And and start from there rather than thinking, oh my God, like if I need to make this happen, then I need to know the president or I need to know <laughs> this policymaker or I need to know the one who controls the budget. So uh, the big picture is nothing but a combination of like hundreds of small pictures. And the small picture is very much accessible to each one of us. So it, so it, when, when I was told, oh, like you can't have a job, I, I could have gone out and made a big rally or created a petition that said I should be allowed to work from home or in different ways. Rather, I think I, I decide to look at how can I solve this problem for myself right now. And so then now I have a way of working and I'm able to make a living and now, I, now I'm in a position to say, this is what works and I've proven it. So now we can look at things like, will it work for, let's say, like I live in London, will it work for someone in the north of England? And then will it work for someone in America? And will it work for someone elsewhere? And I think that's a good way of going about it. And the second part I was going to say is looking at change as something that's external. So I, I think if you're able to look at change as something internal, it gives you a lot more maneuverability in terms of control. And control is one of the biggest things with having a chronic condition because you feel everything is out of your control. Oh, God, and, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, kind, that's how I structure most things that I do to look at, oh, so what can I do right now that, that that's probably insignificant for people dying, people living in poverty, people not having food, but but it but it's like the long term uh, 
idea of, oh, if I do this now, then next year it'll grow into this. I think that's, that's what I found the most constructive way to go about it. And especially, well, if you don't have enough energy levels, that is all you can do. So that really works for me. Yeah, no, that, I, I mean, like, I guess, I guess my question is, what if I want to go from zero to like 100 straight away, which is how I feel on my bad days is like, I don't want to move the needle from zero to one, even though that's all I can do. I just, I want to move the zero. I want to move it from zero to 37 and then from 37 to 98. Like, <laughs> like um, I know that like a lot of people have like a meditation practice or uh, mindfulness that helps them um, not be impatient and not want to like push themselves farther than their body can go. Do you do you, do you do something like that, or are you just like naturally a really peaceful person? <laughs> oh God, no! I'm I'm an, I'm an extremely anxious and very stressful person. Oh, me too. But, awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, which really doesn't help. So, um, I I think was it a few, a couple of years ago, or was it? I don't know. Um, I came across this thing where it. I, I even forgotten who said it or whatever, but um, I'm paraphrasing this where it said, uh, like, everything everything that happens, happens, but how you choose to, like, you don't need to always react in a certain way that you think you should, in the sense that, you, you know, like, let's say I drop this glass of water uh, on the floor, like, we, we're like, we are trained from a young age, because we look at everyone else doing it, and so on and so off, like, oh, I dropped this thing, I am meant to, like, you know, say a few curse words, be annoyed, and get really frustrated, but this completely changed my mind, where it said, oh, I don't have to do that, like, I'm just making myself worse when I do those things, so by not doing it, I'm actually helping myself, and like, of course, it, it took me a long time because it, it is very unnatural to like not get annoyed if you drop and break a glass of water on the floor. Like, I mean, yeah, that is really odd. I get it. But but trying to co- like convincing your mind to think that, yeah, that it, one of your options is to get annoyed. The other option is to say, oh, OK, probably means I'm going to be two minutes late to maybe, you know, get on the Skype call because I need to do that. So I'll just tell that person and do this. So it once again comes back to being in control. And I think that's the same with those of us, I don't know if you feel the same way, of like those who are like extremely stressful and anxious to know that you have the option of reacting in a way that you choose to rather than allowing the circumstance to tell you how to react to it. Mm. Yeah, I think like my biggest um, challenge with being chronically ill has been um, that like I never wanted to control anyone else except I always needed to be in control of myself. And now it's like I can't, um, yeah, I can't control my body a lot of the time, you know, and it, it'll do things that I didn't tell it to do. And um you know, if like all you've got after that is your mind, like you, maybe you can control your mind. That is like, that's comforting. But then my mind doesn't do what I want it to do. And then I just don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I oh, think that, that, that's that, why that, mindfulness is, is like so attractive. Oh yeah. I mean, th- that's where 
that that's where it helps. I mean, I have a, a it it really helps to have like maybe a list of things. Like I massively love post-its. Uh, so it's like I have a list of things that take like, let's say two minutes, five minutes and something that I've been wanting to do forever, but I haven't, which could include read this book or, you know, watch this TV thing, whatever it is. Uh, so like, let's say if you said, if you had planned plan to do this recording, but you weren't feeling up to it. So instead of feeling bad that you can't do something, then you have a list of things that you can do. So then it then you are still in control and you are still doing something that you always wanted to do except you know you're not like annoyed and sulking that damn I really want to do this podcast episode but now I can't. It's so smart. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with like really great responses but all I can think is just yeah I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to start doing you that. You know what you you should do that and then tell me if that works for you too. Yeah, yeah. I'll like check back in a few months, you know, after doing it for a while and be like, you ruined my life. Thanks a lot. No, <laughs> it won't be like that, I promise. But I mean, I read uh, a piece that you wrote on Medium called Being Chronically mm -hmm. Productive. And okay. you, it was really fascinating. And you said, um, you talked about, or, is that where? No, sorry. Somewhere in one of in some of your writing, you talked about how <laughs> you had you had to start chemotherapy, and mm. instead of thinking, like I think a lot of people would have thought, like oh, I've got to start chemotherapy. This is going to completely destroy my life. Your reaction was, "This is going to up my productivity ten times because <laughs> I'm going to be at home." Um, and you wrote in this piece on Medium. Uh, stop telling yourself you have a chronic illness. I was wondering if you could expand on that idea a bit for me. Oh, yeah. Um, I really try to stay away from the word illness because, um, well, I'm, I, I think fundamentally I would say I'm a writer. So words to me mean a lot. And I think the way you talk, your language is sending signals to your brain as to how you're feeling, what you are, what you can do, what you can't do. So... The idea of illness is signifies that, oh, you are incapable or you can't do this. And there's a lot of negativity in the package of what is illness. And uh, Ill, I think you can be ill if you have the flu. You can be ill if you get the cold because there is an expiry date to, <laughs> oh, I have this cough and it's going to go away now or whenever once I take these tablets. But with with being, with having, with living with a chronic diagnosis, it's, you know, you're never going to get rid of it in the sense that it's with you for your life. So if you look at it as an illness, you're basically depriving yourself of ever doing anything that you would think you would do if you're quote unquote normal, quote unquote healthy, whatever. So I always prefer to use the word condition because I think condition implies a, a spectrum so you could be really well one day and then you could not be so great the next day but by calling it a condition you're saying oh like today like you know some days you're more happy than the others and some days you're more productive than the others and the word condition allows you to do that I, I, 
I mean, I think the word chronic illness should actually be like, you know, banned or considered an oxymoron because you can't be chronic and ill because ill is like a definite not being able to do things. So I I think so the condition is something I think we can work with because you can say it's, it's even much more comforting to say, oh, I'm fine today and tomorrow uh, I might not be, so I'm going to do more today because I feel good. So it allows you to be more, um, you know, it gives you permission to be more in comfort and more in tune with yourself. Mm. Well, I, I mean, please don't read the tagline for this podcast because we use the <laughs> phrase chronic illness. Oh, no, I, Maybe I I'll do change that it. all the time. <laughs> Oh, that'd be amazing. I'll be the first guest to, like, make you change something. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm all about, like, you know, constantly learning about language, the kind of language that we use around, you know, uh, <laughs> incurable conditions, I think you called, you called them. <laughs> I was like, don't say chronic illness. Um, and disabilities, like, it all matters. Like, it matters a lot. And I'm totally open to coming up with better ways of talking about it because when I say I have a chronic illness, bloody hell, I don't feel good about myself. Like... It doesn't. It doesn't bring me. A, it doesn't bring me joy to say it. But I like condition yeah, exactly. because it's just like this is just how I am. Oh yeah, I mean, like, would you tell someone? Like, would you tell a a, a mother if she's having a stressful day with her newborn baby? Like, oh my god, you're ill. Like, you know, I mean, that is a huge physiological response that I bet is incredibly traumatic. Yeah. To you know, not have any sleep and. God knows what's happening with your hormones and all of those things. You don't call them ill because you're like, oh, like they're going to get better. Like it's it's the human condition. It's a condition of your life. Like you go through different phases. This is something I'm really fascinated about, like having like, you know, done a lot of research and writing around chronic illnesses and disability is this mm-hmm. idea that we have of like, so if, if, if we're, it's very difficult to define disability because it, it, sit, it sits in that, that problem that we have to put everything in dichotomies, you know? So it's like, if there's disability, then what does ability look like? What is normal? What is healthy? And like a lot of people with disabilities are healthy and I look healthy, but I'm by most metrics not. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I had a guy in an elevator the other day and I was just really happy because I was really feeling proud of myself because I had left the house after a few days of being housebound and I managed to go to the <laughs> I know shops, that feeling. right? And I was like, I was outside and I managed to even walk a little ways. And I was just like, you know, I was feeling pretty crap, but I did it. And this guy, this like dad standing in the lift, um, just interrupted my conversation with my friend to say, um, that we, sh- that I, that I should have taken the stairs because he overheard me say, like, I don't know where the stairs are. I never take the stairs. And he butted in and he was like, um, look at you. You're fit enough. Lazy people take the elevator. And I was just too tired to deal with it. I was just kind of like, man, you, you, you're not my problem right now. Like, um, But it, it sucked because I, I just thought, like, where did, like, why, why do we have this, um, like, where do our notions of what's healthy and what's ill come from, you know, because... I could be standing in an elevator at the shops um, in that moment that he saw me looking healthy but not being healthy. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just 
where where are we getting like what do we consider healthy because I just don't know anymore is it like you know there's all those like fitspo bloggers you know fitspiration and like is that what health is is it like a tan and a six-pack like (laughs) is it like doing sit-ups with your baby on your chest like (laughs) like you know I I don't know like do uh, you've done um, projects where you collect data on chronic illness symptoms have you found Mm -hmm. have you sort of like found any kind of um, clarity on what like how we consider health Oh, um, well, uh, uh, specifically about the uh, data that was, uh, that's the invisible health data. So Mm. the idea was to figure out um, the correlating symptoms that different conditions share. So in the sense that, um, okay, so I can give you one insight right now. Uh, We will be publishing a report later. I will, of course, send it to you. But um, one of the insights we got was that uh, needing to go to the bathroom isn't necessary. Isn't only a symptom of if you have Crohn's or colitis, which is gut related, but also if you have fibromyalgia or Lyme disease, <clears throat> which sounds yeah. Which even even I couldn't have even like thought of it randomly because because you know if you have Lyme disease, uh, it affects uh, your your like how your brain processes information, if it affects your uh, neurochemicals, and it can make you think that you need to go even if you don't. And it can make you do unexpected things. So, so yeah, wow. it, it, it was, a, and that is something, so does that mean that, it, like I've been talk, speaking publicly a lot about people with IBD, Crohn's or colitis, needing to use the disabled toilet. So, now, does this mean even if you have Lyme disease, you should be allowed to use the disabled toilet? So, yeah, so that's kind of where, uh, the, uh, that's uh, what the Invisible Health Data Project does. But in terms of, to, to uh, answer your question about, oh, like, what is healthy? Because it, it's easier for the mind to process something in a binary fashion. Hmm. Um, but I also think, I mean, all code is you know done in binary fashion so I think it's a bit lazy for the human mind to think that oh there is being healthy and there is being sick Hmm. Um, so for anyone who thinks health is a dichotomy as you mentioned like a binary of like you're healthy or you're unhealthy is only being lazy if you ask me because they're not willing to acknowledge that there are several ways of uh, looking at it, but there having some... said that, I... oh sorry, yeah, yeah, I was no, just no, gonna I was say saying that like <laughs> sorry, no, you go, you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say that I completely relate to you about the stairs. Like I often have to, like people quite, it it can be quite socially alienating because people quite literally break away from you. Where you know you're having a conversation, you're talking to someone, and you say, oh, I'm going to get the elevator, the lift, and then and then they go, oh, okay, and they just walk away from you. <laughs> or like, I, like I've had, because I have Crohn's disease, I've had like waiters in restaurants who are like completely ignorant of anything to telling me that, oh, you should eat your salad, you know. 
So, yeah, on such occasions, I've basically made the restaurant pay for my food. But um, Good. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> like... it's really, yeah, it's really insane how people think they have the right to tell you what they think is well. Yeah, and they think that they know about you from looking at you for five seconds <laughs> and that they can tell you what you I should mean... be doing with your body. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. Uh, even look, this literally happened yesterday. There was a woman who came and sat next to me on the bus, and because like I have problems with my joints, and I like I wasn't, I wasn't even close. Like I wasn't disrupting her. I wasn't like making it hard for her. But I kept like moving my uh, my legs a little bit, and I kind of stretched it out to like in front of the bus. And she was like, "You shouldn't get your feet on the bus," you know. And I was like. What you you have like? Why would you even say that you're an old lady? I can't even like, like you know, shout at you. Like I'll be the bad person if I do that. Oh, I know, right? Because it would look, because like to other people who don't know, it would look like there's <laughs> this like young twenty something, um, being rude to her elder, and it's like no, she was she was being rude to me. You know, it's <laughs> I've had yeah, that happen. I had an old lady try and kick me out of the priority seating on the bus when there were heaps oh, of wow. seats available in the priority seating. And I really needed it because I could barely walk that day. And um, she started, she had a seat, there was room for her. So she sat down <laughs> next to me and started giving me like um, the third degree. She was like, these seats are for, <laughs> these seats are for um, <laughs> disabled people or mothers with children. Which one are you? And I just looked at her and then I just looked away and I think she started to put two and two together because I did not have any children with me and I was not pregnant. And then, <laughs> she, then she, um, yeah. a little bit later kind of apologized, but I was like, I was okay, like yes, but... think, think no. for a few seconds before you start berating a stranger. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't know if, um, if you have this in Australia, but it's been happening to me quite re quite a lot in London where, this weird thing that people need to, like, not just disabled or pregnant women, but people need to give away their seats to kids. I was like, oh, yeah. since when is that a thing? Like, come on, they're kids. They have the most energy in the world. Like, what are you talking about? And, like, I, I go on the tube and, like, I'm feeling really queasy, like, especially because I get my chemo on the weekends and... Like, I, I don't feel well on, like, Sunday, Mondays usually. And, like, I really need to sit down. And there are people who literally come to me and go, like, can my 10-year-old can my son sit there? And I'm like, no. Like, what are you talking Like, Like, he's, you know, he's wearing sportswear. He has a basketball. I'm pretty sure he can stand for, like, <laughs> you know, 10 minutes. Like, it's so frustrating, and um, I can imagine you being like, well, does your 10-year-old get chemo? Um, <laughs> and if they said yes, then you would bond and make a new friend, and that would be beautiful. But <laughs> um, no, it's the, yeah, the, the um, entitlement that people feel. I don't, think, I don't know if we have that here in Australia. We have entitlement. We have plenty of that. But um, uh, I know that, like, um, kids traveling on, like high school kids traveling on a student fair have to stand up for, uh, for older people, uh, for like okay. everyone older than them. Um, cause I have had the first time, <laughs> cause I'm, I'm turning 30 in a couple weeks. And the first time that a, uh, like a 16 year old girl stood up for me and said, would you like my seat, ma'am? I was like, oh shit. 
<laughs> I was like, no, I don't want your goddamn. Yeah, I do want it. Please. Thank you. Like, <laughs> I was like, yes, I actually do need that. My joints ache. Um, but yeah, I think for like little kids, sometimes I think like if you have like a toddler who can't walk very far or something, then you're supposed to like let them sit down. Yeah. Yeah, not 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 a toddler. I mean, like you know, like kids are like seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, that's a bit. I think sometimes it's more about the parent can control them better if they're sitting down. <laughs> so, oh yeah, maybe. No, I mean, yeah, like, I, I care less. Yeah, like I that's just, so politically incorrect to say, but yeah, still. No, but I mean, like, should the, should this parent's convenience? Um, you know be more important than than um somebody with chronic illness needing to sit down because they're queasy i I don't know it's it's very confusing (laughs) and like i wish people i wish there was a bit more like um understanding out there of like what it's like living with an invisible illness um speaking of which you mentioned before we started recording that a lot of people don't realize that chemotherapy is a treatment for conditions other than cancer would you like to talk about why you're getting chemotherapy yes um i have um i have a really severe crohn's disease so i've had a couple of surgeries with so i i have like very little of my intestines left and uh so therefore like they need to have me on really hard uh, like really strong drugs because they can't afford for anything to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, with uh, combined to that, I also have um, a, a type of arthritis slash spondylitis, which uh, is related to your um, immune system. Mm-hmm. So, so they need to find a combination of drugs that match both of them. So, uh, and th- this is really odd. Like until like two years ago, I couldn't stand up straight, so it was that bad. I was quite literally hunched over because my spinal cord had inflamed so much. Oh wow! So yeah, which as they found out is related to my autoimmune diseases, and uh, that's why they need to figure out the best treatment and. I am on other immunosuppressants, but the one that worked the most was um, a chemo drug, which uh, which which is given in like a form of an injection and so on. But um, but it literally worked wonders to the extent that I was I could walk up straight in like a couple of weeks' time, and I was like, oh my god, that's brilliant! What is it doing? And they said, oh, it's basically like like taken off all the inflammation in your spine so you're able to like move around and and it's you know it's it's not just used for that it's also used for like quite recently I think they found out you could use um chemo drugs for ME and for chronic fatigue syndrome which is often contested as is that even a condition or you know blah 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 but um but people have found that it works quite literally wonders for people with those conditions so uh, the use of chemo drugs is you often think oh if you have cancer and you know you're going to lose all of your hair but that is only true if you have chemo with radiation and you go through that intensive period what I do is that my chemo drugs aren't as 
strong as you would, let's say, if you have cancer. But they're done in a way where I'm going to need this for the rest of my life. Like, if I stop taking it in a couple of weeks, I'll, like, bend back to not being able to walk upright. Right. Um, and so I guess, like, the trade-off is that you spend a couple of days feeling nauseous. <coughs> yeah, there's, like, a, there are various levels of trade-off. Like, you don't feel as well and, you know, you have to go to the hospital <laughs> regularly. Um <laughs> As, as well as uh, one of the biggest trade-offs that I found out quite, like, last month I was told that my white blood count had gone really low. And, uh, yeah, that was because, you know, that's what chemo drugs are meant to do. But oh, um, So they were like, yeah, just don't get a cold, you might die. I was like, oh, thanks. I will try not to do that. And <laughs> so, being the it, anxious person that I am, I can't help but notice you have a cough. <laughs> oh, You're all right. uh, yeah, that's my no, yeah, th- 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 that's my um, that's my asthma. Like, no, I only no, have one of my too. lungs left. Oh, that's yeah. Right. So that I only yeah. So like, cough is like something I always have, which is really awkward because. Uh, you know, every time you cough, like in public, of course you cover your mouth, but people look at you like, are you carrying the plague? Oh my gosh. Do you know how much <laughs> I, I say to people, like, because I get Ubers around and I'll, I'll like mm-hmm. say to the Uber driver, like, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not feeling very chatty. I just don't, I, I feel a bit sick. And then, <laughs> and then I just like, because I know the feeling of like be having a sick person in close quarters with you. And I always say like, it's not contagious. And then I feel like they get really like worried because it's like, well, then what does she have? But I'm just like, oh, I just, I just want to explain to you that I'm, you're not going to catch anything off me. Like, and I feel so weird saying it. Like, <laughs> I feel oh, like yeah, yeah, I say that. a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I say that all the time, especially because like if, like, God forbid, I have to like run for even a short distance or if I have to like climb up even a small flight of stairs and then I get really breathless and there's like someone's like next to me going like do I need to ring the hospital like are you okay yeah yeah and um you had uh the lower lobe of one of your lungs removed is that right yes was that because of asthma or something else um that is a good question um they well I had um, an attack of uh, dengue fever, which was in India when I was living there, and um, that apparently affected my lungs, although the doctors still claim that, oh, that's not really true, that can't happen. But uh, the long story short is that it uh, affected my lungs in the sense that there was uh, a lot of uh, air and blood and fluids in where they shouldn't be. And it was spreading. So the only thing they could think of was to cut the part that was infected and hope that it doesn't spread. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you were 16? Yes. Oh, wow. How much say as a 16-year-old do you get in, like, you know, deciding whether you're going to have surgery to remove part of your lung? Um, I don't think a lot many. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Like in in the sense that I by by this point I was on life support so uh, yeah oh, so it wow. was basically the surgeon saying yeah we are doing this uh, it, I don't think it was anyone's decision not even my family or anyone else. 
it wasn't really like, yeah, we could do this or it was like, the or is not a good thing. You don't want the or. <laughs> it's not an option. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. So, uh, sorry, here's my brain fog coming in. <laughs> That's okay. There's <sighs> um, so a reason I have this big cup of coffee. Yeah, I don't drink coffee, um, unfortunately, because caffeine kind of... Oh, you shouldn't be at night. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's nighttime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't consume caffeine um, because I'm all healthy and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I get real, like, riled up when um, newspaper columnists and random dads in the elevators call me lazy because I'm like... Um, I'm like, man, like I am the most like disciplined person with my health. Um, and like, you know how you mentioned, cause I've got MECFS and you mentioned how a lot of people are still like, oh, it's not really a thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, let's just look at this scientifically. I am so, so healthy and disciplined about my, you know, what I put into my body, what I do with my body. I don't really have any vices other than like, sometimes I eat a bit of chocolate. Um, and, you know, if it's just behavioral, then I should be the healthiest person that I know. So how could it not be a real thing? And I, this sort of comes circles back to what we were talking about a bit before, about people making assumptions about you and how so many people will jump mm -hmm. straight to the assumption that you're just trying to be inconvenient, that you're, that like, you know, most people on the street are, or most people you read about in the papers are probably just trying to scam someone. And like, I don't, I haven't met that many people like that. Like most people I meet are just like, they don't want to be sick. Like they don't want to inconvenience doctors and their loved ones and their family. Um, they don't, they don't want to be at home in bed having the good life, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really a good life. It's quite isolating. So I just, I mean, you just through your work on this in this kind of area, can you shed any light on why why people are like this? Why people like this? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, it's really bizarre. Going back to where we started, it's um, it's it's because you're told you can the the only way to be exceptional, or we're talking about being extraordinary, is to be normal. So the second you're told you're not normal, you think your life is falling apart. So that's really one of the main reasons I'm driving home this message of, oh, like, let's try to go beyond what's extraordinary. Because, because I think just because you're not normal doesn't mean you can't do amazing things. And when people don't want to be sick, once again, because being sick equals not being able to do things so once you tell them oh like you have this condition and it's not you know being good or bad it's not being uh healthy or unhealthy it's just you're going to feel differently on different days as do most people like people are grumpy people are happy people are sad people are living basically mm. so i think once you change the conversation of like you're not sick you have this thing just like someone else might I mean not not everybody's a marathon runner but mm. do you think like do you think half the world is sad that they can't run marathons like <laughs> that's a ridiculous thing to th 
to think about or like not everyone is an Olympian but like is the 99% of the world sad that they're not that they're not able to like power lift hundreds of kilos yes it, yes it, they it, are anyone who's looked <laughs> at that that picture of Hugh Jackman deadlifting <laughs> is sad <laughs> Like, Hackman doesn't count. Yeah, he no, doesn't Well, count. I mean, he's definitely not normal. Um, <laughs> but you're... Yes, I, I, I think, yeah, I think it, it is really the, the fact that when you tell someone you're not normal, you're also telling them, oh, so now you are just incompetent of doing anything else. Mm. So I think that's really where the resistance comes from. Like, I am not a sick person because sickness involves incapacitating yourself yeah yeah exactly and like it usually means you're incapacitated like you said for like a certain amount of time um and the whole problem with people understanding chronic illness is that they can't understand illness that just goes on indefinitely and yeah exactly you're i really want to talk about your project chronically driven um which mm -hmm. which you started in early 2015 and you described as an initiative to bring about a new structure of normality which I thought yes. was a really interesting way of putting it. And um, you, well, I mean, like it's won prizes. Like I would love to talk about that, but like, can you explain briefly like what Chronically Driven is? Oh yeah. Um, um, as I said, I primarily, I do a lot of different things, but I think everything comes down to me being a writer. So when I started sharing my stories, uh, I realized, oh, there must be other people out there like I'm not the only one with these conditions I'm not the only one with these problems so the idea behind chronically driven was that oh you're chronic you have a chronic lifestyle so how can we use that to drive you forwards so so it's uh, so it's an attempt at changing the narrative from oh despite you know you know let's say your closest friends and family if you're able to take a trip they probably say oh Caitlin like made this trip despite of having ME mm -hmm. so it's an attempt at changing that to because of so I would say oh Caitlin was able to do this podcast because she has this That's true. or yeah exactly or you know Caitlin has the opportunity to speak with people around the world because of her condition uh you know you I have the RSA fellows yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I have the privilege of speaking to people like you because of my condition. So how can we, it goes back to like why people are uncomfortable of being ill and why people like, I mean, it's, I think it's a stupid idea to like propagate people to fight their illness. It's like you can't fight a chronic illness. Like it's a losing battle. Like unless someone finds a cure, which... I'm all for, but until yes, then, please, please. yeah, it's highly, it's highly, it's highly like, it's highly destructive to expect someone to be in this fighter mentality every mm. single second of their life. Mm. So the st the stories are essentially from people around the world with uh, different kinds of chronic conditions that are invisible on the outside, on how they have used their resources. Of, of chronic lifestyle to achieve extraordinary or beyond the extraordinary things. Like, uh, it's it, the, one of the stories that spring to mind is, um, uh, is a story from 
a woman from New York who, uh, her name's Caitlin as well, by the way. Good name. Um, Good name. Is, <laughs> yeah. Is, um, is she, you know, she used to run marathons. She was super active, loved the outdoors, and then got Lyme disease. So, like, I mean, that's that's probably, like, one of the worst things for someone who's, like, running marathons to get. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so and then, you know, like, what do you... Yeah, like, what do you do when, like, you you can't even, like, get outside your home without, like, immense amount of planning, let, like, rather than, like, run marathons? Mm. So, so what did, like, she could have said, oh, now I can't run marathons, now I can't have a regular job, now I can't. She could have gone through that route, but instead she decided to become a children's novelist and... Now she has like a jewelry company that she gets to do because of a condition, because she can't work for somebody else. Mm. So, so it, it, you can even say that without her diagnosis, without her chronic lifestyle, she wouldn't be able to do any of these things. So the idea with chronically driven is to look at, okay, so now you have this chronic lifestyle that isn't your choice, but what you do with it is your choice. So, with these stories, let's drive you towards a life that you are excited about. Do you think, though, that there's a chance that um, accepting that you've got a chronic illness and then sort of living around that means that you are giving up? Um, I think it depends what you mean by giving up because... I, I mean, we're always giving up something in our life. Hmm. Uh, you know, to speak to you, I've given up an hour of being under the sun. Like, I could oh, be geez, enjoying like, it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I would rather speak to you rather than be out right now. So, so you're always giving something up, whether you consciously realize it or not. Like, if you have a job that you really love, you're giving up time with your family. Mm. So, or, or, you know, or you decide to go away on a holiday, you're giving up time to spend doing your work or giving up, uh, you know, spending time with your grandma or something. I mean, you're always giving something up. It's not that the idea of like, oh, having everything is like you physical, you quite literally logistically cannot have everything but like can you give up the things you don't want and can you work towards the things that you really do want I think that's a better way of looking at things hmm. I often feel like I'm being stalked a bit by the person that I could have been if I didn't get ill do you know that feeling like the the woman that you know you were supposed to grow up into and it's such a strange feeling sometimes to feel like I have to live this life but always be aware of that life as well in case I have to step back in, in case they cure me and then I step back into it do you know what I mean like I'm constantly yeah, comparing I, I say... myself to this ghost woman and like I'm not I'm not yeah, saying but... that's a good thing I mean it's a bad it's a very bad thing but it's something that I've struggled with because if I give up the ghost woman people will say oh you've given up you know, you've stopped trying. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I would say you, you would, that is not an option in the sense that 
let's say tomorrow you wake up and you're cured magically. You got a fairy godmother, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so even if that happened, you wouldn't go like you wouldn't forget this life. Mm. You wouldn't forget the experiences. You wouldn't forget who you are. This is a part of you. So, so I, I don't think there is even the option of oh, like I'm gonna go back to like let's say suddenly I became completely fine. Uh, like I didn't need any meds. I never had to go to the hospital again. I don't think I could mentally shift my mind to ever forget all the things I had. Like I wouldn't stop doing the work I'm doing if I was cured tomorrow. Like. Mm. It's too much a part of me. So, uh, I mean, of course I can think, oh, like I could have run a marathon or like, you know, I could have become a power lifter or whatever, whatever. So <laughs> You could be the next Wolverine. I, <laughs> yeah, oh, I am joked I'm, uh, amongst my friends that I'm Wolverine in the sense that, like, you know, science has tried to kill me so many times, but I just don't die. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, like I, Wolverine's my favorite X-Man and um, I did a whole solo show a couple of years ago around the time that I was starting this podcast and um, I do like a whole bit about Wolverine in it because I just like, I always related to him. I wanted his healing abilities, you know, like I, like he was like, any time people say like, which superpower would you have? Would you, would you be able to move things with your mind? Would you, you know, and I was like, no, I would, I would want to heal, like be able to heal from anything. But I never thought of it that way, that science keeps trying to kill me and I keep living. <laughs> we are Wolverine. That's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I mean, that's the definition of autoimmune conditions. It's your body being on a hyperdrive. Like, yeah, you, you, you quite literally cannot be attacked to a certain point, like when your immune system is on a hyperdrive, so. Yeah, the, your immune system literally thinks like everything is attacking you and is fighting yeah, it exactly. constantly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course it's not as, you know, as simple as that, but then, yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really cool. And like, um, so Chronically Driven won the best idea at the Wired Creative Hack Awards in Japan last year. So you got to go to Japan, which I imagine was awesome. What like Yes. What did um what did winning that award mean for you and for the project? Um to me it was really important because even though I'm from Asia, um Asia is one continent where um chronic conditions aren't appropriately represented. Because it's um, it's easy to say, oh, like, yeah, you know, she's just, like you said, lazy. Or she's just, like, she's just always running late. She's just never keeps to the meetings she says she does or mm. whatever. Um, so to me, it was a big deal to get, like, a foothold into Asia and to talk to a Japanese audience. Mm. Um, because... You know, it's it's one of the, I mean, there is like a scientific reason to why autoimmune conditions are more prevalent in uh, in America or U Europe or wherever. I don't know much about Australia. Is it gluten? But, um, it's gluten, in, isn't it? <laughs> we eat a lot uh, of bread. Maybe, <laughs> no, um, it's, no, it's essentially the reason, like, it took them a year to diagnose me with Crohn's, and that's because they said, oh, like, 
you're Asian, you couldn't possibly have it. Oh. Um, it's um, not that we don't, there are, but there are very few cases. That's because autoimmune conditions are essentially your immune system being confused, which happens if, let's say, you know, you've taken a lot of antibiotics to confuse your immune system or to make it go lazy and think, oh, like, I don't need to work or I need to work all the time. Um, and uh, combined with living in a super hygienic environment. So hence why it's more prevalent in the Western world, because, you know, that's been going on for a while. People like to pop pills all the time. But yeah, the reason like I have it, yeah, the reason I have it is because I grew up as a sickly child. Mm. I was always like protected in like in immensely hygienic environments. And I was also like bombarded with a lot of drugs growing up. So that's like, uh, so I had the environment of someone who grew up in, let's say the UK or the US or anywhere else, except I was in a different country. Oh, that's so interesting. I did not know that actually. I didn't realize that uh, there was a difference in prevalence of autoimmune disorders around different continents. I had no idea. Uh, I was interested oh, to, yeah. to see how like chronically driven was, um, except uh, how it was received in Japan, because I happened to be reading the other day about uh, the importance of a label on a disease. Um, because of course the label of MECFS is, is highly contested and constantly people are always trying to come up with a new name for it. Yeah. And I found out that at Japan in 2002, um, they actually renamed schizophrenia because that basically um, translates to, from, from the ancient Greek, it translates to um, split mind. And a lot of people think that that means you've got like split personality disorder or something. You've got more than one personality and you're very aggressive if you've got schizophrenia when that's not actually the case. And Japan renamed it to uh, integration disorder, which, <laughs> and like um, diagnoses went up because doctors felt more comfortable saying, integration mm. disorder obviously in Japanese uh to their patients rather than hey your mind is split <laughs> um <laughs> I think like when you translate schizophrenia into Japanese it was literally like um two split mind, mind to mind from itself or right. something like that it's very scary to be diagnosed with that and it could cause people <laughs> to, to deteriorate um and I thought how amazing that they improved healthcare by you know changing the language around it and I, I did wonder how like chronically driven would translate in Japan oh um I am still waiting to get a story I have got um a few people from like you know the Philippines or wherever but uh not Japan I need to get some a story from there um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 really odd. I think it's how healthcare is understood because uh, the by far the majority of our audience are in America, and I, I mean I've never be, even been there, and that's because that's because you know it's an ongoing battle with healthcare of trying to prove that this needs to be under my insurance because this is my problem from my condition and so on, mm. but. It was interesting in Japan, what I found out apparently is very similar to how it is in India because you have to pay for your health care and you're paying to go see your doctor. Mm. They almost want to tell you what you want to hear because they feel obliged to. 
So, so it's like if you think you have this, they will definitely entertain that idea because you're paying for their time. So, in a sense, you're their boss in a weird way. Oh, I understand that. So you could be at home looking at Dr. Google and then take these、mm. ideas into your GP, and they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah probably." Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I know this from you know. Living in India for like two decades, like they will always test your idea first. Like I don't know if they feel otherwise. Like you can go in and tell them, I I can breathe perfectly fine, but I think I have asthma. They'll be like, okay, take these drugs. We'll see if that helps. So, because you know the way the relationship is structured is that they are at your service, but.、Ah. What what I found in the UK is that because there is the welfare system, when you go in, the doctor goes in and thinks about, oh, like you could have this, but I think it might be this. Like they will still consider your、uh, your judgment, except I think like they actually take a more informed decision.、Mm-hmm. Like I I'm I'm not dissing Asian doctors at all, but but、no. it's it, it's just. Personally, yeah, I love the, the idea of doctors、place. that listen to you without question. <laughs> like that's wonderful. Oh yeah, like in, yeah, like in India, you could go get like any test and any drugs by if you make a good enough case. Like if you make a logical enough case. <laughs> I'm sure you can't just walk in and be like, "So I think I think I'm missing a leg," and they're like, "You know, I can I can see <laughs> yeah, both yeah. of them." <laughs> you're like, "Just scan me, <laughs> get me the X-ray." <laughs> Oh, that's really fascinating. This is why I mean. So, just to explain for listeners, chronically driven, you accept、um, people can write their stories in, but and stories about their invisible illnesses, but with a very specific angle. So you're looking for something yes, specific.、Um, yeah, it it is actually.、Uh, I work with each and every one of the story submissions personally, so、uh, you, they can use the form online and. They basically send in. Oh, this is my diagnosis. It just needs to be incurable, invisible, and chronic, in the sense that it should impact you in your everyday life. Right.、Um, so it's、um, so with that, and then I work with them to look at. Okay, so how was your life? If you look through the stories, it's like this was my life before the diagnosis. This is what happened during, and and. This is how it has changed. So, I help them see what they are doing now, or and what they're capable of doing. So it 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 shifts the focus of living with a chronic condition or a chronic illness, and helps them actually see this as a condition.、Hmm. And and at the end,、um, the motivation for the stories is that okay, let's say. Someone listening is recently diagnosed with Crohn's. Someone recently diagnosed with fibromyalgia, Lyme disease, lupus. So, when they look at those stories, they'll be able to,、uh, you know, once again gain a sense of control to think that oh, what I'm going through is perfectly fine. Like everybody、mm. goes through this, and like th- th- this is what I know now, so I can like do this differently. So the stories end with asking the question. Like, what would you have liked to know when you were first diagnosed that you know now? Hmm. Geez, that's a good question. 
and I have a lot of answers to that. I, I know that like when, when I, um, uh, around Christmas last year, I was like profiled for a fashion magazine of all things. And, um, <laughs> uh, about this podcast, uh, in Frankie magazine. Oh, thanks, nice. thanks Frankie. Um, and just giving them a free shout out. And, uh, <laughs> um, when it was published, like it's so at the time that they wanted to like profile me and do the photo shoot and stuff, I was at the sickest I'd been in years and I could barely walk. Uh, so I was mostly bed bound, but I like dragged myself out of bed and somehow, you know, pulled a brush through my hair and stuff. And, uh, when it came out, I just felt like, um, I just wanted to show it to my 16 year old self when I was first diagnosed, you know, and be like, this only happened because I'm sick. And, um, you know, like, look what sick people can do, basically. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's what Chronically Driven is, is all about. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, there are tons of stories. I hope to have you on there as well. So. Yeah, no, I would love to be on. I, I, when, I admit when I saw the brief, it was like, you know, um, think about something you've gained from your illness. And I was in a bad mood that day, and I was like, nothing. <laughs> it's just shit. <laughs> But, oh, yeah, um, yeah. I often ask them, oh, so tell me about your day. Like, what do you do in a day? Like, right now with you, I can think, oh, there's your photo shoot, there's the podcast, there's all yes. the work you do. Like, My life is so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for, like, I know you're such a busy person. Thanks so much for giving up some of your time. And I guess, like, if anybody is listening who's just recently been diagnosed with a, with a chronic medical condition, is there anything that you would like to say to them? Um, yeah, I think, I, especially if you're first diagnosed, like if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you're, you know, feeling even traumatic, distressed, I just want to say that if you weren't feeling those things, you should be concerned. <laughs> so, so if you are, that is completely fine and that is probably the only normal thing you will feel so if you like being normal embrace it because <laughs> that, that is absolutely fine everything else from then on has you know can't be normal so to Bhavani Esapati for coming on the show and if you would like to read stories about chronic life with chronic conditions that uplift you uh, stories that make you feel good then go to theinvisiblelabs.com and click on chronically driven to get in touch with Bhavani herself follow her on twitter at b-h-a-e-s-a I've put these links and links to other things we spoke about in the interview in the show notes to stay in touch with this podcast Follow JAS Podcast on Twitter, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash JAS Podcast. Uh, sometimes I post things. 
and just news and things that I think you, you might find interesting if you like Just a Spoonful. You can also become a patron of the podcast. Patreon is the internet's tip jar, and through Just a Spoonful's page, you can tip me any amount of money you like at the beginning of each month, any amount over one US dollar. And it keeps the podcast going. I'd like to thank my amazing patrons for sticking by me over the past year while my output has been patchy at best. Um, but you didn't give up on me and thanks to you, I'm able to keep going and I literally couldn't do this podcast without your support. So thank you so much. And if you would like to become one of these wonderful Patreon patrons, you can go to patreon.com forward slash, you guessed it, JS podcast. Thanks for listening and whatever kind of day you're having, whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope you are finding a little spoonful of something to get you through.